On The Go podcast is brought to you by The Sanctuary. For more information, please visit www.thesanctuarychurch.com. Well, good morning. Uh, I'm so glad you're here. If you're visiting with us, I'm Pastor Marty Walker. Welcome to The Sanctuary. Uh, We're in the middle of a series uh, called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. We're reading about uh, iceberg spirituality, right? How much of what we get to show the public is just that top 10%, right? That top 20%. But what's hiding underneath that most people don't ever get to see is my crazy addictions, my crazy responses. Maybe not here, but here, right? You ever catch yourself going, where did those thoughts come from, right? That's part of that 80%. So we're talking about this iceberg spirituality. Uh, you had a couple of weeks off, so that was kind of nice. Last week, you just got to catch up on your reading, right? Uh, but uh, we're, we're getting into this. Uh, we're going to be covering, uh, opening up chapter 7 today, uh, but you'll be reading it this week. But I just want to let you know that ahead of time, I'm hoping to both encourage you, encourage us, and challenge us. It's kind of a, uh, you know how like when a physical therapist is working on you, you're like, that hurts, but I know it's good for me. That, that's, that's my hope when I stand up behind this table each week. We have chosen to start and finish. We're all choosing to finish something. We are all good starters. We're just terrible finishers. If that's an encouragement to you to blow that thing off and pick it up again, get caught up on chapter four, cool. We're going into chapter seven this week. Please, listen, not for me. Not for God. You could say it's for those closest to you, but it's for you. We've got to grow up. Instead of being, uh, you know, 20 years old in Jesus, we're one year old in Jesus 20 times. We just keep starting over and over and over, and we keep going back to our childish ways instead of putting those away. So we're trying to transform those hidden places, the, the stuff that's deep beneath the surface of our lives. If you've missed any of this series, I want to encourage you, you can get the app. It's all on the app. So if you don't have the app, go to the Sanctuary SCV in the app store. You can get that there. You can also, if you've if you got a drive time and you're like, I missed that one week, here's the podcast, Sanctuary SCV. So pick up the podcast and you just go, what was that about? What was that about? If you, if you missed a week, if you want to catch up, you can catch the podcast. And lastly, you can see that on YouTube. YouTube has all of our videos. We've just got them all logged in there. So you can go, again, to the Sanctuary SCV. But I encourage you, keep up on this. Again, not for me, for you. So open up your app. I've got some things I want to share with you this morning, some scriptures. We're going to be reading out of the Bible this morning. Imagine that. I don't have Reader's Digest, right? I've got the Bible in front of me. Um, but we're going to be reading out of the Bible this morning. So open up your app because I've got some things I want to share with you. I, want some things, I have some things I want you to take home this morning. So EHS, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, is really about embracing what would be considered the contemplative lifestyle or contemplative Christianity. When I say contemplative, I'm talking about meditative, just stopping to think, reflective, introspective. See, most of the time we say things like this, what was I thinking? The contemplative knows what they were thinking. Some things come out of my mouth, and I go, where did that come from? That, watch, that's a contemplative moment. What was that? Why did I act like that? Why did I respond like that? What was that about? That's contemplative. Simply stopping to ask the question, stopping to think. And here's why. So that our 
so, so that our spiritual maturity and our emotional maturity are in alignment. They're tracking together. See, it's been, I've been teased about it. I have personally been teased about it, that girls grow into women, boys grow older. Right? We, we never grow up. But my wife's like, when are you going to grow up? I'm like, forever a junior higher, stuck in this old man's body. You know, I don't know what it is, right? But we're wanting to track our spiritual and our emotional maturity. We're wanting to get those things together. If you're filling in the blanks, here's your first one. This emotional adulting today is somehow about getting our emotions and our spirituality connected and aligned. Our emotions and our spirituality connected and aligned. Oh, I'm mature in Jesus, I pray, but I treat my coworker like garbage. Something's wrong. There is a literally disconnect between our spirituality and our emotions. I can hold on to a grudge. I can not forgive. I can get payback, revenge. There's all kinds of things that bubble up inside of me if it's not aligned with my spiritual maturity. I say I'm spiritually mature. I pray, I read the Bible, I do Bible study, but then I treat this person in this way. And again, let's, let's be careful. It doesn't even have to be a physical treatment. It can be a mental treatment. We, we call it giving someone the cold shoulder. Okay, so, so please understand, it's not about physically messing with people. It's in our heart and in our minds. It's like, I don't treat that person right. That's what God is after in us. That's what it means to grow up. Many are going to come into a relationship with God. They go, God, I want to know you. And they, and they meet Jesus. And Jesus says, I came, this is Jesus, I came to introduce you to the Father. I'm not the important relationship. I'm how you get there. But this isn't the relationship. I need you to know him. I want you to know the Father. And so I came to introduce you to him. And here's what happens is our behaviors might change. Maybe we start going to church. Maybe we get a Bible. Maybe we start reading our Bible. But you know what doesn't change? And often because it's not addressed is the emotional component of our lives. Why do I treat people that way? Why do I react like that? And I've said this before, reacting and responding are two different things. Reacting is just, somebody scares you, you push. Responding is, I have, to, I, I have thought ahead of time how I'm going to act in this situation. When this comes up, I know how I'm going to respond. We see in, as we've looked at all that we're studying, we've seen how loving and connecting Loving and connecting to others is often based on how our family of origin, mom, dad, brothers, sisters, uncles, aunts, grandmas, and grandpas, family of origin, how our family of origin loved and connected with other people, or, may I say this, how they didn't love and connect with other people. Oh, my family, we never had anybody over at our house. Oh, my parents didn't have any friends. We never had families over. Oh, I, ha I had friends, but we never had anybody in the house. Our house was very volatile. Our house was very, you know, you never knew what was going to break out. So you, we, we never had people at our house. We never went in. We were never invited anywhere. See, watch this. That's the disconnect. And we carry some of that on. Yesterday, I had a genogram workshop. My family, my story, my life. Uh, if you missed that, there is an opportunity. We actually 
recorded it yesterday. We video recorded it. And I want to encourage you. Uh, we'll have the, we'll have, because it was yesterday, I don't have the link yet, but I want to encourage you to go through that genogram workshop. It gives a life timeline. It says, here's what happened in my childhood. Here's what happened in my preteens. Here's what happened in my life. And look at how all this works together to create this thing called me. When dad left, when mom remarried and remarried again, and then those dads left, and then my coach did this, and and that's why I kind of think the way I think. Look at what all those things did to me. And it's not a blame game. It's not like, oh, good, I have somebody to point the finger at. It's just, this is what makes me me. Part of my genogram is that I have seven brothers and sisters. That, that's part of it. And, and that makes a big difference for those of you who are only children, the only child in your house. Imagine six more brothers and sisters. It looks really different. I just, listen, it's not about, my, my parents had too many kids. No, it's just, that's, that's my life. That made me think in a certain way. It, it gives me an outlook on my life. Well, the goal of the Christian life is maturity. And not just spiritually. The goal of the Christian life is maturity and not just spiritually. We're trying to be mentally and emotionally and socially mature. You ever catch those people? You're in a party and they're in this corner. I'm like, did you know you're at a party? There's something socially missing. They don't realize how they come off. It's like, oh, okay. And here's what we're told. This is what we're told. Check this out. When I accept Jesus and he lives in me, growing into an emotionally mature adult is natural because Jesus matures me, right? This is what we're told. We're told, oh, Jesus is going to make all things better. We have somehow believed this little lie that says Jesus has a magic wand and some fairy dust and goes, speak and everything becomes wonderful, no more problems. It's, it's just not true. It, it's, it's, it's one of the practical myths in the Christian life. Well, that's Jesus' problem. My, my issue is just living life. Jesus is going to change me. No, here's how Jesus changes us. Stop doing that. Start doing this. No, 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 you just changed me. Do the miraculous. No, you're a part of this. I need you to stop doing that. I need you to start saying these things. I need you to start doing this. These are disciplines and habits I want to get you into because the goal is looking more and being, being confused for Jesus. The people see us and go, did I, did I just spend time with Jesus? What was that? That's why Jesus is given this title, the Christ. Christ isn't his last name, by the way, right? He's Jesus the Christ. Listen, the goal is, watch, Marty the Christ. I'm to be more like him. I'm not the savior of the world. The Christ is this, this job title that he had. And now my job is to be Christ like. We're supposed to be growing up. And here's what happens with this myth. See, we're told things like this. Well, you know, Paul said, anyone in Christ is a new creature. All things are passed away. All things are new. <laughs> Tell me that one again. Why do I keep acting like that? If all things are new, how come I keep acting like that? Why, why do I keep pulling this stuff out, out of, out of nowhere? I, I act crazy. And because here's why. Because it's not about Jesus in me. It's about me 
And it's about my identity in Jesus. Not Jesus in me, but my identity in Jesus. Watch this. And not Jesus living just in me, but you know this one. Jesus living through me. Oh, I have Jesus in my heart. Wow, I wish you would have told that to the person that I just saw you talking to. Because I didn't see him in your heart at all. Right? These are things. I walk out of the grocery store and, wow, Walker, what's up with that? I'm just in a bad mood. So... Here's another fill in the blank for you. Being a spiritually mature Christian is all about one thing, loving well. And if I could wrap all up of what it means to be the Christ, it's loving well. I'll get into the full message of the entirety of the Bible. You're going to hear it broken down in four little words today. Four words. to I'm going to break down the whole Bible. You're going to love it. Like, oh, I know, the arrogance of this guy, right? Loving well. Our, our problem is that we're not applying these truths, the truths of the Bible, practically and effectively to loving other people. That's what this is about. And our maturity is directly connected to our application of walking out these biblical principles. Watching what Jesus did, okay, I'm going to do that. I'm going I'm to treat people like that. And the beauty is the Bible doesn't just tell us to love one another. It tells us how to love one another. It would, be so, it would be such an easy get-out-of-jail-free card, right? Bible says to love one another. I don't know how, but it tells us how. Be quick to listen. Be slow to speak. Speak the truth in love. You could be angry. Don't sin. Ooh, this is the way that we love each other. We're given this outline of how to love each other. And today, I want to share with you probably Jesus, this one of two. The, the, the prodigal son is probably his greatest parable. It's a story with a point. But here's the second one, and that is the story of the Good Samaritan. We even use the phrase in our current culture. It's used all around the world. It comes right out of this, right out of the teachings of Jesus. Open up your Bibles. Come with me. Here's a Bible bookshelf for you. The third book in, Matthew, Mark, Luke, Luke chapter 10. Keep in mind, by the way, Luke is not one of the disciples. This guy got a book in the Bible. He's not even a disciple, right? He was one of the apostles, right? Luke chapter 10. He's not Jewish. He's, he is the only writer who's not Jewish, right? And, and here's, the, here's the great part. He wrote the majority of the New Testament. No one wrote more than Luke did in the New Testament, and he wasn't a disciple, and he wasn't Jewish. There, there is a belief that he was one of the 70 that were sent out when Jesus said, go out two by two, that he, Luke was one of them. We, we don't know. But anyway, that's, that's Luke. Here we are, Luke chapter 10. I'm going to start reading about the Good Samaritan. I'm going to give you some context, etc. So here we are, starting in verse 25, chapter 10, verse 25. One day, an expert in religious law, that's you and me, because I know the Bible, stands up and goes to test Jesus First mistake, right? Aye, aye, aye. Jesus, he says, I'm going to ask him this question. Hey, teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Now, this expert in religious law, right? He's a Bible scholar. So this, is, this, this story right here, I want you to hear this, is a conversation for those who read the Bible. This story is a conversation for churchgoers. So, so know that. 
Jesus is talking to someone who knows the Bible, who knows the word of God, right? Here, verse 26. Jesus, uh, he says, teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replies, what does the law of Moses say? See, what does the Bible say? And then I love this phrase, how do you read it? I, I love that Jesus goes, I know what the Bible says, but what do you think the Bible says? What do you think about that? How do you read it? Right? So, so you tell me, what does the Bible say? Then verse 27. The man answers, well, you got to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, all your mind. And you got to love your neighbor as yourself. Okay, okay. This, this is a beautiful part. Even when we have the right answers, <laughs> eventually it will come out. And you know what it is. It, it is coming, right? It will surface. Here it comes, ready? Right, right, right. Okay, yeah, okay, love, yeah, that's what you love your neighbor as yourself. Okay. Jesus says, right on. Do this and you'll live. Here it comes. The man, this is me and you. This is, again, churchgoers. I love this phrase. Wanting to justify his actions. Nobody else raise your hand. That's only me being accused of that one. Okay. Wanting to justify his actions. Here it is. Who's my neighbor? See, I'm looking for, I'm looking for an escape route. Because I've done everything the Bible says. Well, you got to love your neighbor. Yeah, but who's my neighbor, really? See, I, w- I, want, I want a little out right here. Now, that's the context of this story that's about to happen. Now, here comes the content. Here's where Jesus brings it all down. That was the setup. This is the parable. Here here it comes, right? Jesus starts in verse 30. He says, he responds with a story. A Jewish man, he's traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho. That is is a long trip. That's 18 miles in in the middle of Acton. That's 18 miles in in the hills of Agua Dulce. Just imagine, rocky, dry, no water. That's this road from Jerusalem to Jericho. So so you have to understand that. And here's what he says. He's heading to Jericho, and he's attacked by bandits. Here's some robbers. They strip him, take his clothes, leave him naked. They beat him up, and they leave him for dead beside the road. I don't know how long you survive in the hills of Agua Dulce. But, but again, and I've been to Jerusalem, those of you who have been to Israel, it feels like this. It was 112 degrees when I was in Israel. I was like, this feels like Santa Clarita. Ugh, I don't want to be that much like Jesus, right? But anyway, so, so he, he, he says this, he says they beat him up. Now watch this, verse 31. By chance, Pastor Marty comes along. The priest, Pastor Marty comes along. And he sees the man lying there. He's like, ooh. He crosses to the other side of the road and passes him by. Then Heather comes along. Our worship leader. Isn't she so sweet and nice and wonderful? Catch out Heather. Watch it. Nobody gets out of this one. Watch this. Okay. Here comes Heather, right? All of a sudden, Heather comes along. She walks over. She's so compassionate. Not like me. I'm just cold. I'm like, me, Right? Heather at least walks over, looks at him. And then goes to the other side of the road and passes by. <laughs> this is the priest and what's called a Levite, a worker in the temple. But, but I want to give you the practical application. Priest is pastor, Levite is worship leader. So, so imagine for a moment 
We, we're, I'm walking in the hills of Aguadol, say I see a, somebody naked, beat up, bruised, bleeding, dying, and I go, nope. That, you could expect that of me, but how many of you thought, Heather? <laughs> She's down here going, Pastor, you didn't have permission to put me in the sermon this morning. Okay. But this is what's happening. A priest and a temple worker. They walk by. Verse 33. So, something's wrong here. Because... Because this, this priest and this temple worker, their life, their life, their job is about knowing and serving God. But somehow, there is a disconnect in their spirituality, watch this, from loving well. Here's this person, naked, beat, bleeding, dying. Now, the pastor, the worship leader, nah. I wonder what that congregation looks like, if that's the leadership. Okay, let's keep going. Let me stop. Because I, I wonder what's running through their minds, because I, I know it's me that's being accused in this scripture. I am being accused. The priest is the pastor. So I know that I'm the one being accused. So, so what's going through these people's mind as this is all happening? Are, are they preoccupied? I'm memorizing my sermon for Sunday. I've got a prayer meeting. I've, you know, I'm overseeing this prayer meeting. and I'm picking, Heather's going, I'm picking the worship songs for our worship night. Something, they're preoccupied. Maybe they're scared. Is there more bandits? Is there more robbers around? I, I don't know. I, I, it would be defilement for them working in the temple. Old Testament law says you can't touch things like that and still work in the temple, so maybe they'll be defiled. I don't know. May, I, for me, I feel inadequate. I don't know how to fix that guy. Look, he's bleeding all over the place. I, I, I know basic first aid. And you know what? I don't even have my first aid kit. I, I don't have what I need. I've got, I have a list of reasons why I can walk by this guy. Ultimately, they got people to see and places to go. Hmm? Hmm? Ultimately, I got people to see and places to go. Dallas Willard, one of my favorite authors, says this. Hurry is the enemy of spirituality. I haven't got time. And we have to stop using that phrase. I haven't got time. I do have time. I choose to use it differently. I choose to not take care of that man. I choose it not to do that. I choose not to take care of this situation. I choose not to care for that person. I have the time. Hurry is the enemy of spirituality. The bottom line is they both lack a, a soft heart. They, they lack a, a compassion. That, that's where compassion comes from, from the heart, right? It flows from. Verse 33. A despised Samaritan. Oh, that word, despised. I'll get to that in a minute. A despised Samaritan comes along. When he sees the man, same guy that Pastor Marty and Heather, right? He feels compassion for him. This despised Samaritan, this Samaritan, according to the Jews, Samaritans are all going to hell. They don't have a part of what's going on in Israel. They're kind of half-breeds. They're not real. They got bad doctrine. They're second-class citizens. They are in fear. They're hated by the Jews. And that's why Jesus used this word, despised. 
So, so get that into your brain, this word despised. That's what it says, a despised Samaritan. He's using it for a reason. Jesus is saying, hey, the person nobody likes. All the people that I'm talking to, remember who I'm talking to? Churchgoers. The person nobody likes comes along. Okay, okay. And yet, the Samaritan exposes himself. Watch this. He goes over to him. The Samaritan soothes his wounds with olive oil, wine, bandages them. He puts the man on his own donkey, takes him over to Marriott Extended Stay, right? He's got this, gives him practical medical care, invests financially in his recovery. He hands the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, hey, take care of this guy. If his bill runs higher, I'll pay it the next time I'm here. Who is this despised Samaritan? Jesus continues. Now, which of these three would you say was the neighbor to the man who was attacked by the robbers, the bandits? The expert in religious law says, ready? He says, well, the one who showed him mercy, of course. Jesus responds this way. Yes, comma, Now go and do the same, period. Jesus puts the emphasis on doing. Not, if I had the opportunity, spirituality. (laughs) No, listen to what he says. Now go and do the same. Powerful, powerful. And the only way that we can see this text we can begin to live out this text, is to realize, hear me now, it's us that have been left on the side of the road. We are the person who was robbed. We are the person who has been stripped and left for dead. Keep this in mind. Right back here in Isaiah, Jesus was given the description, ready? Despised. Jesus was despised at the cross. And the despised person came and rescued me. I was left for dead. I was, the world has robbed me consistently. They overpromise and underdeliver every single time. Buy this car, you'll be cool. I got the car, I'm still a stooge. What is going on? Live in this neighborhood, everyone will like you. I'm like, how come the world keeps promising me? I keep doing what the world says. I wear the right clothes, I have the right cologne. What's going on? The world has robbed me over and over and over again. Invest here, you'll make money, 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 money. How come I lost it all? The world tells me. And they rob me and then they strip me. They take everything from me, and they don't care. They just leave me for dead. And Jesus, the despised one, comes along and goes, Oh, Marty, look at you. And he heals me and bandages me. I love this because this is where, this is where Jesus comes, becomes personal. And until we see ourselves as the person on the side of the road, we will continue to step over to the opposite side of the road when we see somebody else there. Let me, can I say it again? Until we see ourselves as the person on the side of the road, we will continue to cross over to the opposite side of the road when we see somebody else in that position.
1 Corinthians chapter 13. You don't have to turn there. If I could speak in all the languages of the earth and of angels, and I didn't love others, I'd just be a noisy gong. I'd be a clanging cymbal. Man, if I had the gift of prophecy and I understood all God's secret plans and, possible, and possessed all the knowledge, if I had such faith, I could move mountains and I didn't love others, I'd be nothing. I have a really cool cable television program out that you'd be, all be watching it, but I would really have nothing. If I had prophecy and healing and all these things, if I gave everything I have to the poor, I sacrificed my own body, I, sure, I could boast about it. But if I didn't have love for other people, I've gained nothing. Our ability to love well is directly connected to the environment that we grew up in. It is. It really is. Where we grew up, what was modeled to us, how, how emotionally secure that environment was, we learned how to do things in our lives. When we were hurting and our parents said, stop crying, got it, when you hurt, you don't cry. When something happens, rejection, abandonment, betrayal, you go, oh my gosh, I was betrayed. Hey, stop talking about that. Oh, got it. So when something bad happens, we don't talk about it. Anybody connecting with where I'm going here? Okay. This is what our family teaches us. Our family teaches us these things. Fill this one in. We're going to have to unlearn and relearn some of the stuff that our family of origin has gotten to us. We're going to have to unlearn some of those things. It's okay to talk about that. It's okay to process that. It's okay. We can, we can bring that up. Let's, let's work through that. We're going to have to untangle those things that have been brought into us. Because how we were comforted as a child after a time of emotional distress. Maybe we were cut from the team. You know, no, you're off the baseball team. Sorry. I have someone better. <gasps> But I was the best in this league. Well, now you're just a small fish in a big pond. You were a big fish in a small pond. Wait, but I have all this athletic ability. Yeah, you, you put your identity in the wrong place. And watch this. Here's what they do. They beat us, rob us, strip us, and leave us for dead. I don't care. The world doesn't care. How did we comfort ourselves? How did we comfort ourselves? When those things happened, we turned to substances, we turned to habits and hobbies, we turned to our own prescriptions to fix it, to feel good for the moment. Maybe our family of origin didn't do a stellar job. Beloved, we are in a new family. We're in a new family. We have a father who loves us perfectly. I don't know about your dad. I don't, I don't know about your dad. There's a big difference between our dad and our father. We have a father who loves us perfect. We have a brother who exampled what it means to live life. I go, oh, that's how you treat people? Oh, okay, okay. And God invites us into this practice to live like this in our daily lives. It's, it's, and I want you to know, even what Paul's talking about here, he invites us to practice the presence of people by loving them well. That's what's happening here. And I see it and I hear it and I go, oh, yeah. Jesus, and here's, here's the summary of the Bible. Old Testament to New Testament. God wants you to hear two things. I see you. I hear you. You're heard 
you are seen. You watch the life of Jesus, that's all he does. Jesus, son of David, have mercy. Who said that? I hear you. He sees someone in a crowd. I see someone. Jesus is this Samaritan right here. Jesus is this Samaritan. I go, oh, that's what I need. I I need Jesus to come and, and rescue me. And I say, Lord, when will be my turn to be rescued? But then the next question has to be, when will be my turn to do the rescuing? Jesus does this. In the same way, our contemplative time with God. I'm asking us to stop and to think. It's a lot of what's being talked about in emotionally healthy spirituality. It's asking us to be present with people and reveal to them how precious they are to God, healing their wounds. That's our job. That's what we do. Heaven isn't just for social workers. Right? I I read it. I said, Jesus said this, feed the hungry. This is how you know you're a disciple of Christ. You feed the hungry. You give something to drink for the thirsty. You let the stranger in. You clothe the naked. You go visit sick people in jail. This is what Christians do. If you're one of my followers, this is what marks you. This is what sets you apart as one of mine. God invites us to practice this. It's the slowing and the stopping. And you watch the lifestyle of Jesus. He slowed. He stopped. He's in the middle of something. I brought this up before. And he's interrupted and he goes, okay. I'm on my way from this place to this place. And someone says, hey, can you come here for a moment? Yeah, I'll go there. He he knew what he was about. God is asking us to slow down, to be present with people. I was once on the side of the road. I was left for dead. I was robbed. I was stripped. Everything they promised me. Nothing. I got nothing. The world, again, overpromised and underdelivered. I'm like, Ugh. and then went, you're on your own. What happened to all my friends? That's why the most famous parable is the prodigal son. All, he had all the friends as long as he had the cash. As soon as he ran out of finances, everybody abandoned him, and he's eating pig food. That's the world. And until we see ourselves as that son, until we see ourselves as that child who squanders everything the father had given to him, we will not rescue others. We will continue to be the older brother goes, good for nothing. Jesus is asking us, did you know you were rescued? I saw you on the side of the road. I took the time. I could hear you. I could hear the death rattle coming. I heard you. I see you. And I rescue. And now is our time. That's part of this Samaritan, this despised Samaritan, and this despised Christ. Sees and hears. And it's our time. Even though we may feel despised at times, it's our time to see and to hear.
So we're going to have a conversation. It's a really easy conversation this morning. We're going to turn around and find some. Oh, yeah, I got this. What stood out to you today? Thanks, Shan. I forgot. Uh, chapter 7 this week. Come on. We, we, we're in chapter 7. I'm finishing chapter 6 right now, and I had two weeks to do it. Uh, I'm reading chapter 7 this week, pages 165 to 187. Here's the question for the day. What stood out? Here's what's going on, beloved. So, so you hear me as, as a shepherd. Last week, I was like totally shocked. We went to this time, and about 25 people just got up and left. Like, yeah, I don't want to talk about this anymore, right? It's getting too deep. It's getting too real. And I'm asking too deep of questions. Watch this. For people I don't know to answer that question with somebody I don't know. I'm okay. I'm all right. But I, but I do think we need to talk about these things. So today's question is plain and simple. What stands out to you?